This is the Blackout Podcast. Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people that do amazing things. And today, <laughs> I'm very lucky to finally, <laughs> finally get to talk with Jessica Weeb, right? I said yes, that correctly. Correct. So, where is Weeb, like that last name from? Is... Um, So, my I'm originally from Manitoba. Mm. My grandparents on my father's side, uh, their families originate from West Prussia, so now Poland. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and... Uh, they were born in Ukraine and then immigrated just after World War II to Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did they come through Pier 21? My grandfather did, yes. Oh, snap! Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I mean, I used to work there and it's always great when, oh, you know, you know, I have a story about someone that came through the Pier 21. It's always great when that happens. So um, tell me a little bit more about yourself. All right. Where do you want me to start? From way back. <laughs> way back. So yeah. like... Like five years old, high school. <laughs> five years old. <laughs> I thought about this again, remember? So we have a quick snap. So, yeah, um, I'll give you a little, a little yeah. timeline of my life. Yeah. Um, I'm born and raised in Brandon, Manitoba. It's about two hours west of Winnipeg. Um, growing up, I did uh, nothing but um, like musical theater, drama, choir, art. Um, and then in my grade 12 year, um, I decided that after high school, I was going to join the military. Like, why? <laughs> you know, I was looking for a summer job that would pay enough to pay for my first year of university. Okay. And I was looking online and I, I came up, like, join the reserves, $5,000 for like two months training. And then you work once a month. You have to commit to at least once a month uh, to parade or train um, every like throughout the year. And I'm like, that'd be perfect mm. for university. So I did my summer basic training and soldier qualification, got to my unit that September. And this was 2006, which was one of the worst years for Canada in Afghanistan. So every oh. week from about like January on reading the papers, we were losing a lot of people and it was very prominent, especially in Brandon, Manitoba, the military base Shiloh uh, is really close by. Oh. Um, so I remember just reading the papers a lot and being very confused as to what was happening. And and so um, I never had any intention to go to Afghanistan myself until mm. I finished basic training, got back to my unit that fall and met a few soldiers who just got back from Afghanistan and hearing their stories. I had this weird gut feeling that it was something that I needed to go and experience and what do myself. What were some of the stories that she... Uh, just listening to them talk about their convoys through Kandahar City and the heat and um, just the actual fighting itself, too. I just I, I couldn't understand what was, like, why, mm. you know, that why. I still don't know why. Mm. You know, people always ask me when they find out that I was in Afghanistan or in the military, like, why were we there? It's like, I don't have an answer for you, you mm. know? I think that we question that ourselves a lot. So wow. I had that gut feeling, and I put my name on the list, and with not even a year in, I started my workup training, which was 11 months pre-deployment training, mm. uh, full-time in Shiloh at um, 1RCHA, which is the one Royal Canadian Horse Artillery. Oh, wow. And um, a month before my tour, I got transferred to 2PPCLI, which is the second Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. I was supposed to be part of their transport platoon. Mm. So to be um, security, like a right seater for convoys of resupply in Afghanistan. And when I got overseas, um, I ended wow. up, they found out that I had a track light armor vehicle qualification. So I ended up getting pushed out to a security platoon to provide security for local Afghans that we hired to build roads and fix irrigation systems. Mm. So that's what I did the whole six months I was over there and then got home and Worked uh, another year full-time, and then I was a little what, bitter. What, what, what? Uh, full-time. Yeah, uh, in, the in the military country. still. Yeah, and uh, I was feeling really bitter and angry, and I had just, I don't know, what I experienced, and just, I think it's a bit of a shock. You know, you turn off a lot of emotions when you're overseas, and when you come home, you're not really feeling those, or at least I didn't feel a lot and didn't really want to, mm. and so I think I masked it with other things. Mm. Um and so I asked my unit for some time off, and I took off traveling, and I lived in New Zealand. And Wait, so when you when you asked for time off, 
How long do you ask for? Well, so it's different. You can't really do that in the reg force, like the regular force working full time. But oh, in the okay. reserves, um, once you're in for a while, you can ask for what's called ED and T. And so you take you can take six months to a year off. And since I had just done a tour and I put a lot of work in, my unit said yes, that's fine. Mm. So I took off, and I think I was running from a lot of things. And so not just the military. No, I think it's just like things that I experienced in the military, how it affected me, mm. um, and. Uh, trauma and some of some some of those harder things to talk about mm-hmm. um and i took off traveling i was gone for ended up being 14 months and i got home and i had some and you were in in new zealand all that time yeah i was in new zealand i went to bali i was did all of southeast asia and ended up in nepal and india and came home oh wow so what are some was... of the things you did while you were there <laughs> um i actually you know i didn't do any art when i was in the military i kind of put that aside mm. and so when i was traveling i met a lot of artists and i started to paint and i started to draw again mm. so when i got home i realized i wanted to get out of the military officially and go to art school Mm. Um, but yeah it was a lot of just doing everything I could traveling like you know all the things you got to go see like temples (laughs) and like (laughs) I spent two months in Bali doing yoga and meditation how was that it was amazing (laughs) (laughs) do you take a lot of photos when you're on this tons tons I I, that was one thing when I was in Afghanistan a friend of mine he had a really nice DSLR camera and I was Mm. I was a little envious overseas i'm like oh i just have my little point and shoot but i always wanted to take photos while i was over there of what was happening but i had a job to do and i was carrying my rifle or driving a vehicle yeah uh so when i got home i treated myself to a nikon d90 nice. and i was very excited to have that so when i took off traveling i carried that everywhere i went took tons of photos mm. um never really like put showed them anywhere but they're just my own little travel photos is it something you'd show yeah what's that like if you're ever doing like a Jessica, the years, blah, blah, blah. Would you do that exhibit? Uh, I don't know. They're just, they're okay photos. Now, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. I just like, I had a nice camera and I was excited. <laughs> I think I felt that no matter what photo I took with that nice camera, they turned out decent. You know? <laughs> Looking back, the composition, that kind of stuff isn't like anything special. <laughs> but it was like part of like the, do- I, like, I like to document things. So yeah. that was a, a big part of yeah. yeah, my travel, and mm. then um, and just meeting people. I mm. love I love meeting people and learning from people. Mm. And uh, the biggest lesson I learned traveling was that if you choose to do something that you love, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. And I never, I always question, you know, how do you survive as an artist? And that's like the military. Like I just put that aside, you know. And so I saw people doing that, and I thought maybe I can do this. So when I got home, um, I had to face some of my own personal. Mm difficulties um mm-hmm. and still am um but i decided to go to art school so that brought me out to halifax nova scotia <clears> or nascad uh so yeah. you decided yeah. i mean there are all these schools around why did you decide to come to nascad i came out to halifax in grade 10 for a um it was like a festival like a music festival thing for high school bands and jazz choirs and i was in choir so i had come out on a trip and i loved uh, Nova Scotia I wanted to come back and I didn't really want to go out west and I didn't really want to go to a big city and so I thought Halifax could be it and mm. my cousin was out here too which oh, made it okay. nice to have family here cool yeah so um, NASCAD how was that was awesome. What did yeah. you come to study? Uh, I actually thought about, I thought I was going to do photography. That was like my plan. <laughs> and then what I think is so wonderful about NASCAD is the like the foundation year, you get to try all of these different medias. Mm. And I learned that I really like to paint and draw. Mm. And so I focused a lot on that. But I think throughout my, my four years there, I did a bit of everything. Like I did textile work and I did some photography and I did, you know, video, like a video class and performance art and um Turns out I just like to do everything, but <laughs> <laughs> which can be frustrating. I haven't like mastered one of any of those things. You know I just what? love to dabble. Personally, I think I think it's great, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you find it's one thing you really like, go ahead and be great at it. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have an opportunity to learn how to do a little bit of everything, it's great, right? Because yeah. you never know when you might need to use that. Exactly. You're like, yeah, you know, I could do that. And plus, <laughs> the more you do it, the better you get at it. So Exactly. Yeah, I find my subject matters kind of stayed around the same thing, but mm. um, but the ways of expressing that is very different. I like to find, I like to be challenged in that and mm. um, decide I'm doing something and have no idea how to do it. But then figure it out yeah you know? yeah yeah i love yeah, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to meet people and you get to collaborate with people who are doing different things as well i think there's like i think collaboration has so much power behind it mm. yeah what was the first project to work with someone else hmm, my first project was someone else 
Uh, I think it was with, um, I think it was with Maya Eichler from the Mount. She mm. uh, teaches there, she's a professor, and she's a feminist researcher who studies military and war. Mm. And so I met her years ago. Uh, she actually interviewed me about the trans, like transitioning out of the military. That and must then, have been a tough interview. Yeah, it was. It was. I don't, th- I don't think I was really fully ready for it when I did it, um, mm. to sit down and answer some of those questions. But the work she's doing is really important. I know how many soldiers struggle with that transition, that yeah. it's important to have that information and data collected um, and analyzed mm. and moved into like something that could put an action plan in. But um, yeah, then it was about a year after that, I was asked to speak at a conference at the Mount for the Mount Network for Community Engaged Research on War and Conflict. Mm. And it was Community Stories of Peace and War. And so I was asked to talk about my work. So I presented there and she was a part of that. So then I kind of joined the team there and I've been working with them since. And mm. Maya and I did a performance piece together for the Prismatic Arts Festival. What was it? Um, we wanted to model how to engage in difficult dialogue on war and conflict, which is really awkward, right? Yeah. So I was a female, I'm a, I'm a, I am a female veteran, and she's a female, like, a, a feminist researcher on war and conflict. So we have very different views and perspectives and, um, I guess, emotions and that tied to those things. So mm. for us to sit down and have a conversation was interesting because we butt heads in a couple spots, but we can still show that it's important to share our perspectives. We don't have to change our beliefs or our ideas or our opinions, but to mm. listen to other people, to have a better understanding mm. of where people are coming from, you know? So we um, sat and we kind of semi-scripted and we sat um, face-to-face in front of an audience and started to have these convers- this conversation and open up about some vulnerable areas, you know, that we wouldn't necessarily want to talk about or we avoid because people, it's, it's uncomfortable to talk about it war. Is. You know, it's, it's to actually have the conversations tough and when you hear stories, it's not easy. Mm. Um, and so what was wonderful is we had such a diverse audience that day and we had people from different places around the world, different experiences of war and peace. Mm. And at the end, towards the end of the performance, we opened the dialogue up and we invited guests to exchange their stories with one another oh, oh, okay. yeah so they we all we kind of all like broke up and people started to have a conversation with the stranger next to them about their experiences and we provided a couple questions just to have something to feed off of so what do you and, call um, this performance uh this what do we call it? I'm playing a brain fart. Uh, the weight we share. So looking at the responsibility and carrying these stories. So Maya, as a, a researcher, mm. um, she listens to veteran stories all the time, but those stories have a lot, like a heavy weight. And she takes a little bit of that story with her and she yeah. carries that weight with her. Yeah. Whereas when I make art, I'm sharing the story. I'm sharing my own personal story, maybe the story of others. But I didn't realize that I was sharing that weight with the people who were taking in the work so there's Mm. a responsibility i think with carrying that weight and as a community if we can share our stories with one another we can start to share that weight Mm. um, and work together and listen to one another and have Mm. a better better understanding of of people's experiences and Mm. why they do things or why you know people feel a certain way about certain topics and you know to be able to have that conversation but not be angry Mm. yeah it was really interesting So that was the first collaboration piece. I realized how wonderful it was to yeah. work with someone who does something totally different, who writes for like academic papers. Yeah. I don't do that, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> I just have ideas and I'm like, let's do this and this. And she's like, well, what are we, what are we trying to like, like work towards? So mm. yeah. <laughs> Man, uh, you know, uh, when, I mean, movies and stuff, oh. the, 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 the glorify, oh. you know, mm, Actually, no, I'm not even going to touch that. So oh, you can touch it. <laughs> touch it, Israel. Touch it. <laughs> this is the discomfort right here. <laughs> okay, well, so there's, there's the... Years ago, there was a movie called G.I. Jane. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes. You've seen it? <laughs> yes. Exactly. You know, so, so the movie is really well made. It's a pretty mm-hmm. decent film. And, um, you know, there, there was the whole, okay, you know, so this this is... And then there's the whole... People don't want to send their daughters off to war and then come back. Like you know, when you open the body bag, you don't you don't want to see breast there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's always okay. If, and then and then someone like he was like, I felt this thing that I had to go. And you know, there's always that slight disconnect between, mm-hmm. oh, but yeah, you're a great girl. Mm-hmm. 
why do you want to go and shoot guns, bang, bang, and stuff? Yeah. And, and when you, when I'm going to guess in your career, you've had to deal with something like that. Mm-hmm. How, when you face that, how do you handle it? I mean, at least while you're in still in active service. Uh, I think I want to comment on something before I sit, speak to that. Okay. Um, just about that whole thing about, you know, um, there's this idea that women have like are like this beautiful soul you know and like if you look at any military movie like say saving private ryan Mm. um the whole point of the movie was to go and save private ryan so his mother doesn't have to have lost all of her sons right so it's and a lot of reasons men go to war is because they're told they're protecting their wives their mothers their daughters and so i guess majority of female narratives of war are largely omitted from dominant discourse because it goes against the idea of women being like the beautiful soul or they shouldn't show any violence. But there's female terrorists out there. There's female soldiers, both sides. You know, women do show or do act violently, I guess. I don't really know the proper term to use, but those stories are omitted. So Mm. I think it's important to share female narratives of war Mm. and conflict because they're important. And I think movies definitely avoid that Mm. largely. Um, I don't really know how to comment on the the question, if you could repeat it again. Okay, so the question (laughs) is when people are like, oh, well, you're a girl, why are you going to fight you know guns and fight a war and stuff mm-hmm. how do you handle that i mean i don't even come out and ask you directly yeah, like that no but they might imply it i think i get angry i feel a little <laughs> bit angry inside um i think because i remember when i first got home and i someone would ask me you know you're in the military what do you do did you carry a gun i'm like no i just went out there. i was just, I was just like the target I just walked around the field you know like i like i am a trained soldier you know i carried a rifle i know how to fire artillery guns you know i drove a track light armor vehicle and it's it's interesting like the reactions like mm. i remember when i was in new zealand i went to apply for a job um to waitress at this little italian pizza place and i dropped my resume off he said sorry we're not hiring i said if you can just hold on to it if you do like let me know i was i turned around to walk out and he's like you were an artillery gunner he's like fuck off and i was like why is it so hard (laughs) but i get it all the time i get it on remembrance day when i wear my medals people ask me you know are those your father's medals Ah. it's it's hard like i don't really know how to to, what to say to that you know the only thing i can do is continue to make work about war and conflict and share female narratives and Mm. try to normalize that because we have a lot of women in the military Mm. around the world doing Mm. amazing things and it's and um women and men have different strengths and weaknesses but i think when you bring people together it balances out as a team and so i think there's a lot of things that women bring to the military that men can't and vice versa so Mm. i just think normalizing having the conversation um and sharing stories that haven't been shared Okay, and then being in the in the unit, do you ever felt feel like because of agenda, it was it was a thing? Mm, definitely, yeah. Um, I think as a woman in the military, you you constantly have to prove uh, your worth and your your ability to be there. So mm. every new group of people I worked with, I had to prove that I could do what they could do, mm. physically, mentally. Um, and that's really hard. I think when I look at the the I guess the trauma that I carry or I don't I hate saying trauma but the 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 shitty experiences that I had in the military Mm. was largely around those things of Mm. men not thinking you're good enough or how and then you question if you're good enough or you know um harassment's a real thing you know Mm. and so I think I I think it's hard to be a woman in the military and not experience any of those things Mm. um I think it's like that in a lot of male-dominated jobs um sport you know a lot of things like that and so um a lot of my working through stuff from the military has been around those those things you know Mm. am i good enough do i deserve to be here you know and just the things that men have said to me in the military making Mm. me not feel worth it you know but having to constantly push myself to prove that i can be there that i can do my job is absolutely fucking exhausting Mm. yeah and sorry i've never actually said that out loud <laughs> but yeah that's 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 how i feel right about now <laughs> and it's not and, it, and it's and you know women can be bad too you know we're very competitive especially when there's very few women mm. you know i tended to be very competitive with the women that were in the military with mm. me yeah to show that i was tough that yeah. i deserved i should be there you know yeah, yeah. um and do you find there's any part of your personality that uh, was amped up from being the military? Like, what do you mean? So, like, you know, 
I there's a part of yourself that the violence part you were talking mm-hmm. about, you feel like being in the military jacks that up a bit? Um, I don't think so. I think if anything, I just had to be tougher. Like, I think I'm a very sensitive person naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was in Afghanistan, I had to like, I guess grow some balls in a sense um Mm. is like yell at people when i need to and be tough and be very i guess um especially like in afghanistan you know women don't show their faces they don't you know and here i am walking around with my face wide open and you know i've got a rifle um and i had to you know yell at afghan men and you had to be tougher i don't know how to Mm. i just yeah so i think coming home I had a bit of that that I had to shed it took me a while to like let go of that Mm. but I've always been the same me underneath it all (laughs) did you ever paint draw anything while you were there um like just my just like sitting in the tower post like I would look out and I'd do my my sketches for the arcs in front of me but Mm. not really um it wasn't till traveling in New Zealand that I started to draw again and then when I went to NASCAD a lot of these things started to come out in my work and I started to make work about Afghanistan about Mm. my own personal experiences there trying to to, I guess, make work to bridge the gap between um, what soldiers experience and the civilian understanding of that experience. That's mm. not shown, like, in cinema. No. Nope. You know, like, the everyday just sitting and waiting. There's mm. a lot of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and just, like, the everyday stuff that doesn't get shown in movies that, yeah. like, I think that is really important part of the soldier's experience and, mm. and coming home and, and how they get to, like, work through that transition. Mm. Uh, so I think those are things that I really felt passionately about. And I started to make work about that. And mm. since NASCAD, I started to um, work more within the community and looking at how to engage in dialogue and war and conflict, how to make work that um, creates dialogue. Wow. Not necessarily change. I can't just change things, but yeah. I mean, like, I can, you know. Get people, start. Awareness, start I don't know. Yeah. Um, you were, okay. Let me reel it back a bit. <laughs> Sorry, that's so much already. <laughs> <laughs> Let me reel it back. So, um, with being in the military and the experiences you've had, uh, how, and you say you bring that into your art, right? In what ways did would they show? Um, at first, it was through drawings. So, in my first year at NASCAD, I had Ian McKinnon, amazing drawing professor, amazing human being, um, who had us do ink washes and then gestural line drawings kind of over top of them. And okay, so, wait, I had wait, gone wait, home. It was ink wash. Oh, so just like taking like straight up ink, mixing it with water. Yeah. Um, so, you have like really thick, dark ink washes or lighter and I would just like outline and create like a bit of a shape on the page of what I wanted to draw gotcha, and then gotcha. you look at the subject then you start to draw it in with like a pen on top so you get like oh, okay. the wash with like a hard line okay. and so I went home and I looked at my photos from Afghanistan and I started to draw some of the imagery that I had taken in Afghanistan with my little point and shoot oh okay yeah <laughs> uh, I did take some pictures and um, and so the things that I chose to emphasize in the drawings were the little things that civilians wouldn't necessarily know what they were so an example would be on the antennas of vehicles, we would have we would tape um, plastic water balls upside down and we put infrared glow sticks inside them and close the lid. So therefore, any predators or um, UAVs above us would see that we're friendly. Shooters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like those little details that like I wanted to include. Holy in, shit, wait, sorry, in- <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, what? You know, you know, you know, there's a... There's a- it's cool. It's cool when you see it on TV, mm-hmm. but when you realize that those are real human beings, it, mm-hmm. like I, I, I mean, I kind of read up a bit about you, but and then I've seen what you're doing. I think just mentioning that's the first thing actually hit me. That wait, you've actually <laughs> experienced some shit. Like you know, I know, I guess, yeah. but just saying that, yeah. like you know, I have to tell those guys up in the sky, do not. Holy shit. That's such a little part of your day. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. So it's like those little details that I wanted to express so people can like, yeah, have that moment. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. That's like yeah. a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that kind of like just kept moving. And I ended up meeting one of the gentlemen from the Citadel who work in the Army Museum. And they invited me to show my work up there, which has been up there my whole time at NASCAR pretty much. And still... Every once in a while, I'll go up there and add some new things and change mm. things out or volunteer when I can. Um, but yeah, it's it's been quite the process. But like, it's interesting to see like at NASCAD, I was so in my own personal head and experience. Mm. And then 
since getting out of NASCAR, I've started to work with people and collaborate. And um, I'm finding those experiences extremely rich. And yeah. Do you think, um, or oh, actually, you know, wh- while you're in NASCAR, w- was there any. Would people treat you differently once they find out you're in the military? No, no I think I think the only thing that I would say is like someone's that critiques when I made work that was very personal. I think people wouldn't necessarily say stuff or critique it. Maybe they're worried that it would hurt my feelings. Um, mm. So that made me question like if my work was even good. I, like, I, I wondered if the work could stand on its own without my story behind it. Um, mm. So I still question that. So I try to kind of. I think further and further separate myself from the work too. And I think that's also branched I, out I in different know, ways. I don't know, personally. I think, well, because <laughs> when I introduced myself, I'm like, hello, Misrael, I'm a storyteller. And I think that putting, I mean, that's just, it's, it's a huge level of vulnerability that you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're putting yourself in your work and you're putting yourself out there. It doesn't matter what anybody says when they critique it. When you did the work, you know, you felt a certain way about it. And when you put it out there, it's pretty much out of your hands. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, it hasn't stopped me from making the work. That's for sure. Like, mm. if anything, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I've kind of embraced a lot of it, um, mm. especially camouflage has been a very big reoccurring Hello. theme in my work. <laughs> I can't run away from it. But it's a really cool pattern, though. <laughs> like, I totally wear this. Um, I'm so, thinking about that next step, but I haven't got there yet. <laughs> oh, like put it on textile? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I totally wear it. Um, <laughs> so with the... Hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can explain how the camouflage kind of started if you want. <laughs> let's let's uh, go with that. I, I actually, for a while, when I got out of the military, I would like... I would see girls wearing like camouflage pants or shirts. I'm like, oh, it's so cute. And I would go to the store and I would like buy a pair of myself I put it on I would get angry I was like where is this coming from like so I just never wore camouflage for a, still well I'm starting to wear more and more camouflage now maybe mm-hmm. it's with the painting that I'm doing but um I remember my last year at NASCAD um, I was dealing with vet- veterans affairs and um I got bad news over the phone one day and I got really upset and really angry I just was frustrated and tired and I wanted to give up on like even trying to do anything and mm-hmm. I wanted to break something but like I've never really had that feeling to like <laughs> smash anything so I looked around my room and I didn't really have anything to smash but I had like this old cigar box the Romeo and Juliet cigars that I and I, I got the box when I was in Afghanistan and inside I had all my printed out images that I had taken Wait, first, in what Afghanistan. Are Romeo and Juliet cigar boxes? I don't know it's a brand of cigars gotcha. i don't know okay. i just got the box and thought it was pretty <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, but okay. I, I got found the box in afghanistan but i kept like my printed out like hard copy of photos that i'd taken in afghanistan mm. so i opened it up and i just started to tear them all apart and it felt so good <laughs> and i was but i was bawling at the same time oh, and man, i was wait. so upset and I, I like just they were scattered all over my floor my bedroom and i was so angry and then i looked and it looked like camouflage and i burst out laughing because no matter how fucking hard i try I just can't get away from camouflage. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? Instead of being angry, instead of being upset, maybe I should sit with these feelings and work through it. So mm. I started to – I took embroidery thread and I very tediously sewed all these little fragments fragments together into mm. a large camouflage net that was eight feet by six feet. And my plan the whole time was I'm going to make this net and then I'm going to burn it and get rid of it. But then the more I sat with it, every time mm. I picked up a little piece of photograph, like mm. it brought back the tactility of like being in Afghanistan. So like the dust on my T-Lav or uh, the sweat. The dust on your what? My, my track light armored vehicles, so like the dust on the metal, you know, or um, smells and just like these things that weren't negative, but that mm. were just part of the experience. Mm. And so by sitting with that for so long, it took... I went through all of Gilmore Girls and like a million other Netflix series while like just in the background doing making this piece. Mm. But I ended up going out to Lawrencetown in January in the freezing cold and I wore absolutely nothing but this camouflage net wrapped around me. And I stood there for about nine minutes until I was absolutely numb and just let go. Mm. And it was the most um, liberating experience I've, I had felt in a very long time. How, to long, be able... how long ago was that? That was 2015 I graduated. That's when I made that piece. Mm. And um, I had been in Afghanistan in 2008. Mm. So to let go of that but still hold on to it. Like mm. you can let go and let go, but I think it's important to hold on to that little bit that really never leaves you. Mm. So that really inspired more and more work. Um, I did a, a piece following that one that was also a performance piece where I, at the, at the NASCAD Wearable Art Show, 
I filled 14 heavy sandbags and I didn't allow myself to move forward until I picked them all up and moved them with me. And then at the end of the stage, I built a makeshift trench and then I started picking the sandbags up and throwing them off the stage um, to express the physical weight that soldiers carry on their deployments, but also the the emotional weight that they still continue to carry. And so to let go of that by throwing it off the stage, but then to leave the stage still carrying two to show that you can let go, but you still always have that ex- you're always carrying that experience with you, and that's okay. Mm. <laughs> uh, so to be able to find, use the body, use performance, and like sandbags as a symbolic way of expressing a weight, um, I think can be pretty powerful depending, yeah. Um, so I've continued with those themes, and that's how I ended up working with Maya with looking at the weight we share and those continuing themes of camouflage that have now worked into my paintings and just embracing those things and uh, finding ways to use that to express Mm. Wow! Yeah, and that makes how sense. do how he, he does he does he <laughs> yeah. does a lot like um yeah yeah uh, <laughs> how do your say people that are in your unit or just fellow soldiers ex or still in the military how do they handle your work? I've had really great responses from soldiers. Um, one person from my unit who I did one of my original drawings of, mm. he actually made it out to Halifax a while ago, and he went to the museum. And he said it was really amazing to see an image of himself in a museum that holds so much history with the Canadian military and to be a part of that mm. was pretty incredible. So that alone makes me feel good. You know? Tell me, tell me uh, the story about the sandbags one. The, the, in, like, was it... In Wolfville? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So that one, um, I was kind of thinking about monuments and military monuments um, to the the Great War. Um, a lot of monuments, they tend to... They were built for World War One as a commemoration mm. and World War Two was just added to it and the Korean War was added to that again. Um, and in Wolfville, it's interesting. Um, in front of the Acadia Memorial Gymnasium, they have the World War One um, uh, monument. But then there's a second monument erected for World War Two in Korea, which is really interesting. And there's also female names that are inscribed on the World War One um, monument. And I was thinking of an idea to propose for uncommon common art in Kings County, Mm. which is a site-specific public art event that happens every year. And they have multiple artists who make work and they set it up outside for people to go and find throughout Mm. the summer. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to, like looking at monuments, especially war monuments, they tend to merge with the landscape over years, you know, and people Mm. walk by them and they don't even notice them anymore. So I wanted to find a way to disrupt the invisibility of the monuments in Wolfville in front of the Acadia War Memorial, or Mm -hmm. Memorial Gymnasium. (laughs) And uh, I was looking at the history of Kings County in the military. And um, Camp Aldershot uh, is where, well, first I looked at the Dominion Atlantic Railroad, uh, which transported thousands of soldiers to Camp Aldershot to train pre-World War One and Two. Mm. Then they hopped back on the train and headed to Halifax, where they were shipped out to Camp Aldershot in the UK. And so I thought the rail trail was a really interesting connection because it goes right by the Acadia Gymnasium. And so I wanted to look at the landscape that soldiers walk, like went through on their way to war. And so I looked at the distance between Camp Aldershot and the War Memorial. And it's the same distance you would do on a battle fitness test with your rucksack in the military, uh, carrying a certain amount of weight. And um, so I thought it would be really interesting to do a performance piece where I marched from Camp Aldershot to the Acadia War Memorial and then built some sort of... Um, installation piece that would disrupt or bring people up to the monuments to read them. And so I ended up uh, creating two sandbag work parties where I invited soldiers, veterans, civilians to come out to Camp Aldershot to sand, fill sandbags from the sand that soldiers mm. would have trained in, in the landscape. On. Yeah, and uh, fill the sandbags and move them to uh, the memorial. And then the day of March from Camp Aldershot to there, symbolically carrying that weight. So I, I, I also... Um, sculpted a concrete sandbag that weighed 55 pounds. So I carried that in my backpack. And what was the most amazing part of that work was the actual sandbag work parties and the walk because there's soldiers, veterans, civilians sharing stories about their families' experiences in the war and really connecting the community. Mm. So that was phenomenal. And then when we got to the monument, we worked together to build uh, a makeshift trench wall around the monuments, mm. um, which invited people to step into the trench, I guess, symbolically, and actually read the names that are on there. Mm. And thinking about female narratives of war, you know, I have my own. I walked, so I use my body as my that part of the piece. But then also having the female names in the monument is quite 
um, incredible. So to have those little quiet moments of, you know, mm. female voice in there was really powerful for me. Um, and working with the community was incredible. And then to talk to people afterwards and, you know, locals say, you know, they walk past her all the time and they don't even notice it. Mm. They didn't even know the memor- the monuments were there, you know, and to now that every time they go by, they think about it. It's now been taken down, but the temporary aspect of it, people who saw it up, and now it's there. It still brings attention to that space. So yeah. it's, I guess it would be considered a counter monument, which is something I've now done more research and want to continue working in that area. I don't know if that's the best way to explain it. It's a very layered piece. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I remember watching that. I'm like, oh, wow. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> physically. <laughs> exactly. And just logistically. Uh, okay, actually, you were saying, you mentioned it was like the part of the battle fitness test. Yes. What the, what does so this fitness test it, involve? It, it isn't a thing anymore in the military. They have a different test that they do every year. So every year in the military, you have to pass a battle fitness test to show that you're physically fit to be right in the military. Oh, yeah. So you would do, I think it's 12 point something kilometer march carrying a certain amount of weight in your backpack. And a rucksack, sorry. And then you would have your full fighting order. So your uh, fighting order. So your tack vest, your rucksack, your helmet, and your rifle. And you walk that distance. You march it. With, with the weight. With the weight in your backpack or your rucksack, sorry. And um, and then you would get to your location. Then you would do a fireman carrier that, and you'd dig a trench pretty much. And that was like if you could pass that, you're physically fit. You you know. So that was something you have to do every year in the military. <laughs> and so I thought that was interesting because that's part do, of basic training. Do you have a training. time limit to do this? Uh, the uh, yes, there is a time limit. You have to do the march <laughs> in a certain amount of time. Yeah, so so I thought that was interesting to oh, Camp Aldershot being where people did their basic training yeah. and and so many marches, and then being able to walk that same distance. It was a bit more than the actual battle fitness test that we did between mm. Camp Aldershot and um and Acadia the Acadia gym, but uh. Yeah, it was so cool. So then instead of dig a trench, we built a trench. And, like, mm. it really connected with those themes of the military training and the physicality that soldiers have to do. How was it for the uh, people that were in the military in that party that you uh, got together the, to? Yeah, it was it was really interesting to hear, like, you know, them sharing their stories with people who don't have any understanding of the military and vice versa. Mm. Or uh, one gentleman showed up the morning of and he said, you know, we're, you're going to be marching past my father's house and he fought and, and, you know, he trained at Camp Aldershot. Would you be able to stop and can we take a photo in front of that house? And it's like, of course. Like, just to hear these little stories that kept coming forward were really, really interesting. Mm. And, uh Yeah. I don't know. I was going to go somewhere else. Do you feel but... <laughs> any sense of responsibility doing these things you do? Uh, I think that's probably something that drives me, definitely. Mm. Looking at, you know, I've got, I've got this amazing art training and I can use it to something that I can work through things myself that maybe help share stories or help mm. other people. I don't know if it does, but I think that... Um, I think that kind of drives me internally a little bit to always be moving forward. But also it's really hard to to break away from the military. Like I've tried to push it back, let yeah. it go. Talking about breaking away the Ukraine thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another... <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, and that's the thing. So I've embraced those things and embraced that, you know, instead of running from the military, mm. instead of being angry, to like work with it mm. and see what I can do through art to document the military or share stories. Mm. And so I applied to the Canadian Forces Artist Program out of the War Museum in Ottawa last year and I got accepted and I proposed to go to Ukraine to be embedded with the Canadian military on Operation Unifier while they train the Ukrainian forces. And so I went in December and I was embedded with the military for eight days and then I stayed in Ukraine to do more research and travel. Um, And to be with the military as a civilian was a totally different thing. <laughs> it was very weird. In what everyone's, way? everyone's in uniform. I'm just not. You know, I'm just the civilian attached that's sitting in the cafeteria and people are like, who is that girl? You know, <laughs> what are they doing here? <laughs> so, um, how was it for you? I think it actually helped having the military background to be able to sit down with soldiers and say, hey, I used to be in the military. I deployed to Afghanistan. I've done the training. I know your job. I understand what you're doing. Mm. I think it helped them open up more. There, there was a photo you put up on Instagram and you you were talking about uh, you were forming like uh, 
I can't say the right word, but basically kind of like a map of the scene with rocks. Yeah, yeah. We It was like first thing in the morning. It was freezing. And um, the Ukrainian forces were getting ready for their next battle move in their final week of training. And so they had leaves on the ground. They had walkie-talkies and different random objects that sit like – it's like this is this vehicle and this is you know the trench line and they were going over their orders and their plan of attack mm. and so i just took a quick photo looking through a canadian soldier's like legs and a ukrainian soldier's legs and uh just tried to take a quick shot i don't think i was supposed to take a photograph of that but <laughs> it's not a real operation so i thought it was fine yeah. um but yeah yeah it was really interesting to see the canadians working with the ukrainians and yeah. really understand the very different like the the differences, you know, in, in the two different countries and how we approach things. And, mm. um, yeah, I was really interested in looking at the architecture of war and the history of war in Ukraine and how that continues to impact the current political climate and economy and, and drive the war in the East. So mm. it was interesting to see how the, yeah. It's a lot to get into. The, but... the, the, uh, one of <laughs> yeah. the photos that stood out for me was the like a big satellite mast thing. What was it? Like uh... a radio antenna of some kind. Oh, Huge. yeah. That was, that was in Chernobyl. Yeah, so I went to Chernobyl and did a tour. That was separate from the military, but that oh. was a military base. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a radar detector. Yeah. And so it was Huge. So it was really interesting to like learn a bit more about the history around that Is as that well. place safe to? Yeah, yeah. I, it's pretty safe i mean you're not supposed to sit in the ground or like you know but people live in chernobyl still no one lives in pripyat which is like the main the town that was right beside the the where the explosion was yeah. um but yeah it was very eerie mm. yeah it looks so empty i want to go back i, I, I find I'm, i like abandoned places i want to know what the human interest is in that because people are always so interested in going to abandon buildings and um i don't know even trenches or like bunkers. Like you can go on YouTube and find so many videos of people crawling through things just because they're interested in like what's there. Maybe it's like not knowing what's around the next corner. But mm. I think there's an, I'm interested in why people are interested in going to abandoned places. I don't know. Why do you think you're interested? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I don't <laughs> fucking go to a abandoned place. Like, I've, you know what? In my mind, I know it's a movie. I've seen so many movies as a kid that. I always expect the worst things mm. to happen, and they don't happen. No. So I'm not super adventurous. But <laughs> but there's a place in, I think it's Beaver Bank or something. Anyway, it was a, like a station I was then. It's not oh. not used anymore. Yeah, it's and, like an and, old military. Yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. antenna or some some sort. I'd have never been either. I but see I'd be those curious. photos. That I really want to. That's the one place I know yeah. I want to go to. I, but I know where <laughs> I want to go there. I want to go there to take photos and to. I'm writing so. I made this film set in this future that's messed up, and I'd like to shoot something there. Yeah, it's like a dystopian future. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I, I think there's something really interesting, also aesthetically. Yeah. Well, attractive also or pleasing. I don't know. Like it's <laughs> it's really it's full of like sadness and like dark stuff. But like, there's a reason why it's empty and not yeah. used by people anymore. You know. Yeah. But it was really weird walking through and hearing our guide like talk about you know what people were doing when the explosion happened. And, oh, what were some of the things they were doing? Um, one thing that I thought about like there's different um, rays like uh, that like the gamma and alpha and I don't really know it all. But like they were talking about one that. Uh, it's not good to digest. And like we were in front of like the grocery store and uh, it's now emptied and there's like old shopping carts and kids toys. And he said a lot of kids were out here eating ice cream, you know, and you've got radiation raining down and they're eating it. Mm -hmm. And so like those, those things kind of like are jarring when you hear it. Cause you're mm -hmm. like in this place, it's, it's completely like deserted and falling apart. And then you mm -hmm. have this image of kids running around eating ice cream and they're so happy. And, you know, there's like the carnival that was there at the time and they had oh, the Ferris wheel shoot. and like people are out like, and they're, yeah, it was hard to like imagine that. That was, that was mm. tough, but. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to a lighter <laughs> note. Not Jiu eating radiation. <laughs> yeah. Jiu-Jitsu. It's light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the but I didn't even know you did Jiu-Jitsu. It's still new. I've just been doing it just over a year now. Oh. Uh, yeah. And then I see the picture that you were like, I think in New Brunswick, was it? Uh, I like a competition picture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was in, um, I was in, oh gosh, Picto? Yeah, 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 yeah Picto. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> the thing. 
thing about jujitsu is it's you know most other ones is like oh i'm gonna kick you and stuff like ta- taekwondo and stuff mm-hmm. but jujitsu it's dangerous <laughs> it's dangerous because so i watched this youtube video right and like the holes can take you on seconds mm. so this guy it, it's supposed to be one of those funny videos it was funny but it <laughs> wasn't funny so this is what happened so this guy is like a teacher or whatever mm-hmm. and he's showing this hold with his like his thigh mm-hmm. so in his thigh puts the guy's neck in there and then i don't know like what i was caught up because out. it was being <laughs> shot and he like he wasn't there and he's like and you know this is what you do and the f- guy's tapping him and he's still <laughs> going on it the guy sleeps off yeah <laughs> i was like yo and oh guy, gosh, that's a, that's terrible. Yes, <laughs> the tap is sacred, right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you don't leave me right now. Yeah, yeah. Stop. No, I. And that's the funny thing. Like, is that it's considered the gentle sport, or sorry, the gentle art. Mm. That's what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is. It's very physical. It's, it's yeah. Um, but um, the only person that will ever let you fall asleep is yourself, or break an arm <laughs> is yourself because you your ego got in the way and you didn't want to tap you know if you feel a choke coming on you tap and if you get arm barred and you feel your arm you know get into that point you should tap way before that point you know <laughs> um, especially in training maybe not so much in competition yeah. but uh, I find for me like uh, I started referencing like I've got this painting here and I started refer- refer- referencing jujitsu positions mm. and building them together and creating my own repeat patterns and then camouflaging them through color and it allows me to kind of stick with my themes of camouflage but it's a new topic i don't really know how to talk about it yet or why i'm doing it mm. um but jujitsu itself like i talked about things that i experienced in the military that have been very difficult to work through mm. um since i started doing jujitsu i found it's kind of propelled me to work on things quicker mm. you know um emotions come out or i you know something happens on the mats where it makes me feel a certain way that connects to something that happened a long time ago. It's like, okay, mm. well, why am I feeling this way? Why why am I angry? Why am I upset? Mm. Um, so it's forcing me to kind of work through things at a faster rate, which mm. I find is really interesting. I think jujitsu is incredibly good for any um, person what, who what tries it. What happened to your arm? Oh, it's just overuse. So I think my, my tendon's just a little angry with me so i have to rest it's hard for me to sit and rest i, I like <laughs> oh, i love train for, uh, for? i i train like every day doing something uh jiu-jitsu i've been doing five or six days a week and then i'll do pilates or other things here and there i also was doing kickboxing for a little while before getting into jiu-jitsu so i am a very active person mm. so for me when i get injured it, i get it's hard i don't know how, <laughs> i don't know how to sit still but um but yeah it's been it's been interesting to see how jiu-jitsu, like jujitsu, has come into my life and how it's influencing so many different aspects of yeah. my life. And it's exciting because every time you go, you learn something, and it's such a humbling sport. You mm. know, one day you could be feeling great, the next day you just tap every five <laughs> seconds, and someone's got you. You know, you get smashed, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm gonna go home and cry in the shower, and then I'm gonna go back tomorrow, and I'm gonna get smashed again. But I'm still learning, I'm still growing, and mm. it's like you can actually see the growth, which I think is mm. pretty so. Where cool. do you train? A Halifax BJJ Society. I highly recommend coming out and trying it nope, sometime. Nope. <laughs> nee, nee, nee. It's not for everyone. Though. It's not for everyone. Yeah, uh, and, the, and the outfit is—they don't see it. Do those things even rip? Uh, like the, the, like, the geese? Yeah. But no, no, they're pretty Dude, sturdy. Holy smokes. It's all man. about like, the grips. Call me up. That's probably why my wrist is angry from like <laughs> grabbing and pulling. <laughs> but, okay, yeah. I'm going to end it with this. Yeah, so you've done this whole thing, your military and, and, the, and the camouflage. What What's your next project? Um, right now, I'm working with um, the Mount Network for Community Engaged Research on War and Conflict. Uh, we're putting together a book. So looking at local stories in Atlantic Canada, looking at indigenous stories, um, uh, African Nova Scotian stories, veteran stories, family stories, family, like veter- or military families, um, all these different topics, art, how, how we use art in Atlantic Canada to document war peace, refugee stories, and we're bringing them all together in a local context. So I'm working on that right now. That's a lot of work. Yeah, well, I'm working as a section person, so I'm in charge of working with Dr. Raina Green from The Mount, an English professor, and we're working on the section that focuses on representations of art. Mm. Um, Amazing group, 
collaboration. There's some pretty phenomenal people. Every single person that's working on that book is incredible. Mm. Um, and then I've got a show coming up at Hermes Gallery June uh-huh. 7th, and I'll be showing all my jiu-jitsu camouflage paintings. And oh, then wow. starting October, I'll be starting the residency here at the Center for Art Tapes. Oh, so I'll be working on a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. <laughs> what will you be working on? I'm going to be working on all the interview uh, documentation and video work that I did in Ukraine. So working That's that a lot together. of work. Yeah, it's, I'm still working on it right now, but I'm hoping to have all my interviews transcribed so I can come in here and Who's start to piece it. Me. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. What about you? What's what's next for you? Me? You know, so I, 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 when I talk to people, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm busy now. I only have time in a couple months. I'm like, it's fine. I'm going to do this forever. And um, I also just got a radio show on CKDU. So. What? Congratulations. Yeah, so that's fun because I get to play music I want to hear. Because, I mean, like, there's great music on the radio, but there's songs that I'm like, oh, you know, this would be nice to play. But mm-hmm. also, we'll get people like you to come talk about what you're doing. Amazing. Uh, so, so I'm looking forward for that. And I I think I'm, I'm ready to make a film again. Hmm. Yeah, nice. I was kind of burnt up. Yeah. <laughs> I made yeah. a lot of films last day. I'm like, eh. so now I'm ready it to make a flows, film. Right? Yeah, but yeah. now before the film, um, I am writing a play for the Fringe Festival. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> so that one is cool. Actually, yeah. I'm kind of taking this film I made and I don't know. I'm making a play out of a sci-fi. So it's a sci-fi play. Ooh. I'm scared, but you got this. But but actually, <laughs> last night I finally re you know I realized what the ending of my film was. Oh, mm-hmm. what what the ending of the play was, and that's something I I struggle with the ending. But I think I finally I think have. It's hard for like painting too. I never know when I'm done. Like, <laughs> like, oh, you know, and I'm like, I don't. I usually end up working too far, and then I'm like, oh, I screwed that up. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, a friend of mine, I had on the podcast actually gave me a trick. Like, I start so now when I want to write, I kind of don't write until I know what the ending is. Mm. Like, oh, this is what happens. Then I write everything to get to that ending. So it's kind of a cheat. But I'm I don't sorry. know how you do that with a painting, though. No, yeah. I mean I have an idea. It never really ends up being <laughs> an idea. <laughs> Just gotta like let the paint manipulate you. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. By not... the way, you have the most infectious laugh. I love it. <laughs> it makes me so happy inside. I love when people just fully laugh. You yeah, know? I don't. I don't understand when people are like. <laughs> <laughs> I like the full laugh. <laughs> yeah, because you know, like when you laugh, is you're letting it out. You should just go with it. Let it go. That's our theme for today. Let it go. <laughs> so start singing the song. <laughs> okay, no, Jessica. Thank you thank so much you for having so me much. on today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a treat. I enjoyed myself. Actually, I have a lot of more questions. I'll ask after oh, the can, camera yeah. goes off. We'll have a part two at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll interview you. I <laughs> suck at that. <laughs> thank All right, you very thank much. <laughs> this is the Blackout Podcast. listening.